Hey guys, thank you for downloading this episode of The Final Third. We have one of our best episodes of all time coming right up. We talk about the European Super League, what the downfall of it means going forward for soccer in terms of what it means for fans, what does it mean for future iterations of a potential Super League, and where does it leave us as a soccer slash footballing world? But before that, don't forget to follow us at Final Third Show on Instagram and Twitter and follow our YouTube as well because we're going to be live streaming West Ham versus Chelsea this Saturday, 11 a.m. Central Time. So go follow all of those to make sure that you are up to date and you can watch the live stream. Links are down below in the show notes as well. And with that, enjoy the show. All right, welcome back to a deep dive episode of the Final Third Podcast. We're very glad to join you on this wonderful Thursday afternoon or whenever you're listening to this. My name is AJ Tabura, everyone's favorite Minnesota United, U.S. men's and women's national team fan and West Ham United fan. I'm joined by Jack. Jack, how are you feeling today? Well, today has been a roller coaster of a day, you know. I <laughs> we We're going to be talking about in this episode all about the Super League and how it's currently falling apart. That episode structure has changed so much in the past 12 hours. I, I'm excited because, uh, personally, I hate the Super League, so I, I'm excited for this. But yeah, it's been a very interesting day. Yeah, very interesting day indeed. What Jack's talking about about this episode structure is that we originally weren't going to talk about the European Super League on Sunday, then news came out that it was like for sure happening that they were like fast tracking everything. We decided to talk about the European Super League. We're just going to talk about it in general. And then everyone started talking about it, it began to pick up even more steam. So we're like, well, let's find another angle. We talk about the effects it has on uh, all the different parties. And then we find out that a bunch of clubs are withdrawing, including one of Jack's favorite clubs, Chelsea FC. And now we have to talk about what the death of the Super League or supposed downfall of the Super League. We don't know if it's fully, fully out, even though there are reports of it being suspended. Uh, according to Fabrizio Romano, uh, as of 6.52 p.m. on April the 20th, 2021, the Super League has been officially suspended. So any mentions of uh, the Super League maybe still happening is uh, in this episode is, at least right now, uh, outdated. The Super League has officially been suspended with the English clubs leaving Inter and AC Milan set to leave Juventus and Spanish clubs. We still don't know. But as of right now, the Super League, the clubs in the Super League are currently trying to retool, reassess the situation. But for right now, it is dead in the water. Thank you. You know, we're going to get into that. This episode is just one big kind of open ended discussion about what the downfall, the the death of the Super League means for soccer and football going forward. But before that, follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Final Third Show, especially if you want to be there for our live streaming event this Saturday at 11 a.m. Central Time. We are covering the first iteration of the Final Third, uh, the Final Third Derby, I suppose, which is West Ham versus Chelsea. It's a very big game, very big game for uh, the top four fights. And obviously, Jack and I are, are rivals in the sense that we want our teams to win. So check that out. Uh, Jack, am I missing anything about that? Yeah, I mean, you might want, uh, it might be interesting to know how close that live stream was to not happening anymore. Right. Because of the, because of the whole Super League thing. Yeah. I mean, we always could have called them like Chelsea Blues or something, like how Leeds called uh, Liverpool, was it like Merseyside, the Merseyside Reds? Reds yeah. yeah. So uh, there, there, there's still options there. But let's let's start there, actually, Jack. I gave my piece on the European Super League. I kind of explained what it was, uh, what it meant going forward on the Monday episode last last Monday when we released uh, our news and predictions show. But now I'm going to let you talk about it because we didn't really get to hear your full opinion on it. So why don't you explain a what it was or what it still is, b what's happening to it and c just your take on the entire situation as a whole. Yeah, so, well, let's start with what it was, right? Or what it is, I yeah, guess, because yeah, it's yeah. technically still a thing. 
as far as we know. Um, and what it is, is basically it was the top teams, top in air quotes, uh, all combining to create kind of a breakaway league that was meant to replace the Champions League slash Europa League, all of the midweek continental competitions. And how it would work is 15 of the top teams would be in this group permanently, so they could never be relegated regardless of how they do. And in addition, there would be five spots open, uh, it wasn't really specified how open those spots are, that would be allocated towards the rest of Europe that could join in for one year and would, be, would, would not be guaranteed a position in that competition the year after. Uh, some other important notes about financials, because that was a big reason for doing this. Uh, each club for joining would get $3.5 billion, I think, as an initial fund to recover from lost infrastructure stuff from the pandemic and to recover all of that. And then, in addition to that, every year for being in the competition, the teams would receive $350 million. For winning the entire thing as well, they would get an extra $250 million, which is uh, 2.5 times the $100 million that teams get from currently winning the UCL. In addition, the media deal would be worth around $200 million to each team, as opposed to the $60 million it currently is now. So, with all of that information out of the way, we can, you can kind of see why a lot of these clubs did this. And surprise, surprise, it's money, uh, a lot of it. They, they, want, they wanted more profitable deals, especially a lot of these clubs like Real Madrid and Barcelona, who have been in a lot of debt in the past few years. Uh, I think we, we reported on this a few, a few months ago, actually. Uh, but Barcelona's debt is over 1 billion euros. Real Madrid's is just under that total. And uh, other clubs, I think Juventus's is pretty close to the one one billion mark as well. It's pretty high, yeah. Yeah. So all of these, a lot of these clubs are in a lot of debt, and they uh, were kind of annoyed with UEFA for how they monopolized and took more of the money from like what they perceived they should get for competing in and winning the Champions League. My opinion on this, well, at the time at least, was I think. It had the potential to ruin the game as we know it. If, if you saw on Twitter, I was tweeting pretty uh, like furiously about this because I think it's just, it's just a terrible deal. A European Super League where 15 teams are the 15 elite teams that were supposed to be in it are just determined based off of how much money they have, not necessarily the biggest teams in Europe. Like if they, if they were the biggest teams in Europe right now, Arsenal and Tottenham they're, they're historic clubs, but they wouldn't be there. The, the clubs that would be there instead would be ones like Ajax. Ajax probably qualify over, over them. Uh, you know, Nottingham Forest technically have more European titles than both mm-hmm. of them. Like, there, there's so many other clubs that would be more deserving. Uh, but if they can never be relegated, it's pretty antithetical to the ideas of the game based off of sporting merit. The fact that anyone can kind of go up through the leagues and try and challenge for a title, try and challenge to get into the Champions League, to get into the Europa League, and fight it out to try and become the best of the best. That's what the game is about. And AJ talks a lot about about like, you know, the storylines of soccer. And, you know, this European Super League had the potential to destroy those storylines. The fact that there's only five spots for every other European team to get into that's just ridiculous. It's not an open right. competition then. Like you're you're saying five spots for I think the Champions League starts out in the qualifiers with a hundred teams or so. I, I think it's around a hundred teams. Mm-hmm. And that gets whittled down. <laughs> like that that's that that's a terrible that that that's a terrible ratio. And that's for like sixteen spots in the Champions League. You're now talking about every other club competing for those spots. And plus, to make matters worse. A team who gets in through that qualification path would actually make less money from winning the competition than just those teams would get from just being in the competition altogether. And, you know, I, I could talk pretty much endlessly about all of these, all of these different things uh, that I found wrong with it. But I know we're going to talk about that probably a little bit more as well, about, you know, how it would create kind of a wealth gap in, in terms of the teams who are competing in this and those who aren't. 
and uh, a bunch of other ideas. But that kind of sums up the biggest problem I had with it, how it's unfair and how it's really arbitrary on how they chose like the best teams. So speaking more to what has been going on, we've gotten a lot of reports of clubs facing the backlash of that fans have been given because if you've been on twitter you've seen hashtag say no to the super league hashtag uh, boycott the european super league there have been a lot of fans voicing their displeasure that their respective clubs or you know just the soccer world in general has turned their backs against them in order to get more money going into this league and we've not only had social media outcries, we've had plenty of that, but also literal physical protests at Anfield, at Old Trafford, at Stamford Bridge, all across Europe. It's, it's been there. We've had protests of fans going out of their way in order to protest such a, a league. And so because of that, and because of other reasons, perhaps, like Chelsea, Manchester City had reportedly been unsure about it from the beginning. Uh, I, I don't know how true that is, but they have been beginning to pull out. That's basically what's been happening. It's been fueled by displeasure from fans, media, managers, and the players. All, all, all of these different uh, parts coming together. And so that's, that, that's what led to this moment. And specifically, when we we're talking about like the negatives of this competition, I'm not going to get into it because obviously everyone has been talking about the negatives of this competition, what it would bring or what it wouldn't bring to the sports. So I'm not going to talk about it uh, as much as I want. Just to quickly go over it. It would have hurt the quality and development of soccer as a whole because it would mean less money going into smaller clubs which means less money for them to develop players, for them to run their club, and that hurts the domestic leagues in particular. You don't get a strong, a strong backbone in soccer without strong domestic leagues like the Premier League, like the Championship, like the Second Bundesliga, like you know La Liga and La Liga Two. You know these clubs in these leagues require backing, requiring investment that the Super League would have taken away, will, would have, whatever. It, it, would, it would have led to a lot of uncertainty in terms of players with FIFA threatening to bar them from entering any FIFA-related competitions, any UEFA-related competitions. And it would also set a dangerous precedent for the sport worldwide because it legitimizes the prospects of mergers between leagues, like other Super Leagues popping up across the world that is actually something that is still a hot topic even after the supposed death of the super league so we're going to talk about that but when we're talking about all of this jack i, I want your opinion about the protests we've had a lot of protests from fans from the players uh, giving their disapproval giving their uh support against the boycott against the super league what is your opinion on that? And we'll start from there. Yeah, well, the protests, I mean, the the biggest one that occurred, you know, there was one outside Anfield and I uh actually it was outside Elland Road, I think, uh because right, Liverpool right, right. And, and Leeds were playing at Elland Road. Uh that that drew around 700 people, I I heard. The one outside Stamford Bridge this morning drew 3,000. Mhm. Mm and, you know, I, I was watching the live stream of it and they, they, they were fully committed to it. It was, it was like there were at, at first it looked like not many people were showing up, but then fans just kept pouring in and, you know, just started, you know, singing F the Super League over and over and over again. And I, I think that it's really interesting because I don't think the protests themselves are, is what like made these clubs all reverse course, right? Yeah, sure. But I think that it, it, it's just a testament to the energy that was, uh, that was behind these fans in opposing it. Like, e even Chelsea fans, who, who fully, who a lot of, like, most of us fully acknowledge, at least, that we've benefited a lot from money in, uh, in our club. Like, a, a lot, a lot. But even, even then, like, so many still recognized that this is a step too far. And they were they were out there ready to protest, 
And I, I think my favorite scene from this was when the news kind of broke that Chelsea were planning on leaving. You, you just, there, there was just clips of like, just the protest turning to celebration. It was, it was incredible, honestly, to see all that organization. And I've also heard uh, from Arsenal fan accounts that they're going to be still protesting to get the Cronkies out of their club. And yeah, it looks like that this might have awakened something uh, and might lead to a bigger conversation over wealth and money and and uh, soccer ownership, I guess, is the way to put it best. Yeah, and you know, I also want to talk about that. But going off your previous point about it being about the protests, it being not just about the protests, but maybe some other things also got the owners to turn back on the Super League. What else are you attributing to their change of heart? Well, I, th- I think there's a, a few things. Uh, one of those is the player response. Because right. while at first it didn't look like many players were going to speak out, earlier today we heard Jordan Henderson, captain of Liverpool, called an emergency meeting with all the Prem captains to kind of discuss what this meant and how to respond to it. And I also heard from uh, Simon Johnson, a reporter with The Athletic, covers Chelsea, that uh, Bruce Buck, the chairman of Chelsea, fielded concerns from the Chelsea players, and it was overwhelmingly negative about, about everything regarding the Super League. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they didn't specify, of course, which players uh, said that, but it was overwhelmingly negative. And, you know, if, if you're not going to get a positive response to your players, it's not going to be a positive exp- uh, like result in, in, with the Super League. So, you know, you need that. And then also just the fan, uh, the fan aspect by, by itself, like on social media, YouGov did a snap poll of UK fans. And let, let me just pull up these numbers because they were really something quite incredible. 79%, 79% of, of UK fans disapproved of the Super League. And further than that, than that, seventy percent said they weren't interested in watching it at all. Like that, that just shows you how united this response was, and it's incredible because you know half the time you can't even get like fifty percent of fans to agree if something was right, offside right. or not, and <laughs> and getting them to agree that this is just a universally bad idea. I think it had fourteen percent support overall. That that's that that's saying something. Like the the PR optics were not there. This was pretty like for something that's supposedly been in the works for like two years or even longer. It it seems like they had a pretty bad PR uh, strategy. Just just saying that that from someone who really appreciates communications work, this was just a terrible, a terrible one. Yeah, there is something huge to be said about how ubiquitous the fan messaging was, right? Like the, the fact that fans came together. And pretty much as a unit said that we would not ex- accept this. Also from the players, we had, uh, like you mentioned, Jordan Henderson got the captains of all the teams together, got the entire Liverpool team to re- release a joint statement. You have really big players like uh, Bruno Fernandes, I mentioned, uh, had his amazing, amazing quote that was it, dreams can't dreams be by. Dreams can't be by, yes. Yeah, amazing. Boyles had Luke Shaw and Raheem Sterling and KDB and all these different players, both past and present, come together and denounce this. We had the media to uh, come had, in and... You had coaches. Uh, coaches, Pep Guardiola exactly. uh, and Jurgen Klopp in their press conferences were pretty clear that they were not happy with the, with the Super League. Yes, especially when, when you consider that the team ownership didn't actually inform the players and their coaches that this was happening i i read that manchester united ole Gunnar solshire basically had to field questions about the super league on sunday despite not getting informed at all by by the glazers by the ownership now let's let's talk about what this kind of where this kind of leads us but where does this leave the soccer world right now the open-ended question, so you can take it literally wherever, and we'll go from there. Well, I mean, that's a tough one, but it leaves it in kind of a weird place. Because, like you said, 
all of the English teams are are officially out. Every every club has released a statement, bar Chelsea right now, although they're they were playing a game uh literally an, an hour and a half ago. So I don't really blame their their media team for not focusing on that right now. But it leaves it in a weird place because you know, there's still several of these teams that are just like fully committed, it seems, uh, to making sure this goes through. Of course, like Florentino Perez, who seemed to lie at least one time every second in his interview, mm-hmm. uh, was is probably still going to stick by this. Laporta from Barcelona seems like you know he he had support for it in his election that uh, because he thought it would be good for getting rid of debt, and it's just kind of where. Where do these leagues go from here? Because for for like Serie A and La Liga, their response has to be so much different than the Premier League's. Because the Premier League made a credible threat, it appears. Like they uh they did really well in signaling, hey, rule L nine point uh rule L nine in our handbook in the contracts that you signed about the Premier League says that if you join this competition, you're not allowed to compete in the FA Cup, Carabao Cup in the Premier League, in the Community Shield, anything that we sanction. And that worked, clearly. I mean, otherwise, we wouldn't have seen all six clubs pull out in a matter of, like, 12 hours of that announcement. Uh, but, like, La Liga and Serie A, they haven't made any anything like that. They haven't made any statement like that yet. They said they would explore all options. But they're clearly not being as harsh on this. And I wonder if a lot of that has to do with just TV deals and revenues. There were reports that some English clubs had doubts with the Super League, right? But we haven't had any of that with the Italian and Spanish clubs. We we don't we we don't know what their preferences and tensions were be, before this. So, it seems like they have to go a completely different path these uh football federations to move forward. And I I I'm I'm going to be interested to see what they do next to try and you know, make sure they don't try and continue going on with like, you know, a five club league, super league or something like that. It'd be pretty boring, honestly, but they could technically still do it. It leaves the soccer world in a weird place because of that. It's kind of the super league. I, I will say, while it looks like it's dying, is not dead. Right. Uh, it, it's not dead because as long as Florentino Perez is still around, he's probably still going to be promoting it. But in your mind, do you think at the current state of the Super League with clubs rumored to be pulling out, do you think that this survives? Do you think it's going to come to fruition? I think the idea survives. Uh, I don't think this iteration survives. But the thing is, because of, you know, money in, in soccer and because a lot of these clubs specifically and I like specifically Real Madrid, Barcelona, Manchester United, and honestly Juventus as well. Th- those are the four big ones that have kind of like the way their clubs have been run has been poor. It's been really poor. They're they're in massive amounts of debt, and as long as that still exists and they continue to run their clubs like into the ground, basically, there there's this Super League idea is going to exist in one form or another, even if it's not being actively pursued. I, I, already, I already have a feeling that Florentino Perez right now, after all of this news, is just behind the scenes trying to retool this and working on trying to launch yeah. it again. Because all right now, uh, this has just been delayed. And, you know, there are things that can be done to fix this and make sure it doesn't happen again. But a lot of those things don't seem overly likely to happen. I mean, the... We we could talk more later about like you know what what those things are that could prevent this from happening, but you know I I feel like it's just kind of delaying it for now, which is disappointing to say the least. Because I want to say like with like like and truly believe it that the Super League is dead, but yeah. I know it's not because of the profit motive. We know that the owners have the means to keep this going, and I think this is what this the death of the Super League kind of tells us is that we now know that the owners can just do this. It can just happen. It's possible to create a Super League like this and it could just happen at the drop of a hat. We have heard stories of a a European Super League-esque competition being 
kind of touted, kind of investigated since even before the Premier League was formed, since the 80s or the 70s and the 60s, there have been rumors, some kind of uh, investigation into whether or not it was plausible. And the thing that always stops that from happening is public outcry, because public outcry in protest drives change. And if we don't see that, if that doesn't happen, then negative things will be able to happen. The role that players, media, and fans play into deciding whether these things happen is is huge. So I agree, like, we're going to see something like this happen again. And it's going to be in a different form. It's going to be in a different name. But the sentiment is still there. And that's the consolidation of power and money by these big clubs. And it's, it, it's something that we're going to want to slash try to fight. One of the things that I, I've been kind of playing around with is this is a very sticky situation. So should clubs still get punishments for even trying to do something like this? Because th- there's, there's a lot of implications around this, right? Jack, do you think that the club should still get punishments? Absolutely, yeah. Uh, I, I think so. And I'll tell you why. Uh, you know, it, they, they need to try and quash this kind of talk of a Super League in the future, not just delaying it and like saying, oh, welcome back. Thanks for not doing it this time. Don't let don't like like make sure they're not going to enact this nuclear option again, because that's exactly what like everyone thought this was going to be. Right. They, they thought like, oh, the Super League is just like this nuclear option that they're going to use to try and get concessions out of UEFA. But no, instead, uh, they, they actually launched it. And the Premier League, uh, I'll just use the Premier League as an example, because that's that's the, the league I know best. They should punish these teams. And what I think that that should look like is 15 point deduction from each of these teams, 15 points. I know that's not going to do a ton to a lot of these teams, but it, it is do going a lot to it, Arsenal, to be fair. It would do a lot to Arsenal. It would do <laughs> a lot to Spurs. It, it would do a lot to Chelsea as well. I, it would probably drop Chelsea out of Europe, and I'm fine with that, honestly. As a Chelsea fan, fine. If that's what it takes, that's what it takes. In addition, though, you can't just stop there. You, you have to ban them from European competition for a year, at least. Like, they, they it should be... They, they should make it very clear, the, pre, the Premier League should make it very clear that th- this kind of stuff can't be tolerated. It can't, because it, 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 it's the kind of stuff that's going to ruin the game. But, but do you think that that could be UEFA or FIFA potentially sen- setting a dangerous precedent? Because th- this is where I, I talk about like, it being a very sticky situation. You mentioned that it was like, a nuclear option. If UEFA and FIFA set a precedent that that option is not there and you have to abide by everything we say, and if you don't, you'll get heavily punished, does that just not consolidate power the other way to UEFA, to FIFA? Is that a situation that you think, you, if you were the, the, the god emperor of soccer, is that a risk that you're willing to take? Well, I think here here's a thing that that's a very that's very interesting. It it seems like uh, a, a report from L'Equipe, which is a, a French soccer uh, mm-hmm. publication, right, is, is reporting is that, how you that pronounce it? I never it's L'Equipe. Yeah, L'Equipe. Okay. Uh, they they're reporting that UEFA is looking at how to increase the financial incentives that they give two Champions League clubs and how to do that in a proper way. So it looks like in some ways, a lot of these Super League clubs got exactly what they were looking for. You know, they put some pressure on and it looks like it might lead to some changes. And also, so maybe it was a grift, right? So maybe, so, so, that, so maybe exactly, it was yeah. all, it was all just a, a ploy for uh, people to get mad at a Super League to legitim- legitimize their plea for UEFA to give them more money. Continue, yeah, it, continue. It, it, it could. Uh, it could be that. And then, you know, the other thing is this newest Champions League format that they approved yesterday or Monday, I should say, uh, actually gives two spots 
to teams based off of European pedigree. Yeah, I was just about to bring that up. Yeah. Yeah. So that that get that's something that they wanted. They wanted like these big clubs wanted guaranteed co- uh, competition. And I guarantee I know who that who that benefits. It benefits Spurs and Arsenal. That that's 100 percent who this benefits. It benefits AC Milan uh, because those are the teams that looked most likely to keep missing out on Champions League for a while. And, you know, because because of those things, I, I think that. I mean, yeah, I, I think it, I think there is a risk with punishing these teams that it consolidates power too much the other way, because, yeah. UEFA and FIFA, like all, all everyone who's been siding with them and saying like, oh, they're doing what's right. They're not good either. They're, <laughs> right, they're, exactly. They're not good either. Like uh, th- this is something that I, that um I I was talking with a bunch of uh, a bunch of people about. Like they're they're pretty terrible. That UEFA is the one who's responsible for like a ton a ton of bad stuff with FIFA, like with Michel Platini and mm-hmm. Qatar. Like they provided the winning votes to Qatar after uh, Platini was. Uh, allegedly bribed and by Sarko uh, the former French president Sarkozy and uh and Qatari representatives and then you know FIFA is is terrible as well because they've enabled the Qatar World Cup which has led to thousands of deaths exactly. uh, of workers and you know that that's that, neither neither of these organizations is good so i i think you're right though that it it you have to strike a balance here because how these organizations proceed will set a precedent for that power dynamic. And if you set it too far to UEFA, they're going to continue to do bad stuff. Uh, if you set it too far to FIFA, they'll do bad stuff. But if you set it too far towards these clubs, then they, they can just break away and do another Super League. And, mm-hmm. and it, this whole thing can happen again. And maybe the fans won't be successful in stopping it that time. And then what happens? Yeah. And I, I do want to talk about the fans and what we can do to stop this from happening. But I, I will say, to reiterate your point, you either legitimize the status quo of UEFA and FIFA control, or you legitimize privatizing almost the power of soccer into the hands of these wealthy club owners. There's not necessarily a right move. I mean, there is a right move, and that is keep the things they the way there are increase fan control increase decrease spending i mean all these different steps in order to uh decrease the power of these clubs but the one thing that i i will say is that something something needs to be done and that's why that this this is happening because we have the reason why owners are doing this is because that there's ballooning costs into running their team because they keep on needing to spend more and more money in order to preserve their brand in order to grow and take over every single corner of the world because that's like how these clubs run and there's just not enough money for that and that's what florentino perez was talking about when he was saying that these big clubs just need the money they they need the debt relief in order to survive in order for football as a sport to survive and that's why he's going to keep on trying to make this happen. And that's what the, the fall of the Super League is telling us, is that it, it's not to save soccer in particular. That's not the reason why it's happening. But it's to save these clubs because this is how desperate the clubs were getting, is that they were trying to make this happen even, um, even if they knew that there, were, there was going to be a fan outcry. And we know something it, it needs to change because now we have UEFA and FIFA posturing new ideas in order to get these clubs to stay and get these clubs the money they need. I mean, that's what the that's what the the two spots for the historical uh, UEFA teams are for, right? Where you don't even need to like directly qualify. It's to make sure that big clubs can't fail. It's giving me a lot of 2008 financial crisis vibes. You know, when you have this conspicuous consumption you're turning football into a bubble and that bubble is going to pop like the housing bubble in 2008 because you can't just keep on growing keep on spending as much as possible so uh, something needs to change or else florentino perez is going to be right we are going to see the death of football but not through uh, his lens of clubs losing money just through the lens of hitting a hard cap and everything just started falling 
down. Jack, do you have any opinions on that before I go into some other questions that I have for you to answer? Well, yeah, I mean, I, I, I've, I've been thinking about like this whole thing about, you know, building up this bubble. I, it, it, it's unfair to put blame entirely on them, I, uh, on these two. And I think you probably can guess who I'm alluding to uh, by, by this. But I feel like, you know, uh, Messi and Ronaldo kind of give us a case study to look at, like, what has happened with the finances of the sport over the years. Yeah, for sure. Because their contracts almost certainly contributed to the debt that Real Madrid and Barcelona are currently in. Like, uh, their, their contracts were massive. And they're, they're great players, right? But the, those contracts were huge, and they, they cost them millions, if not billions, honestly, to maintain uh, just one player on, the, on, their, uh, on their payroll. And then also you have, you know, all the other stuff about, like, you know, Neymar's transfer from Barcelona P- to PSG for over 200 million euros. That, 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 that's another point where you can see this just keep going bigger and bigger. And I, I think also, like, like you said, with this bubble, if, that, if the Super League went through, it would create even more disparity and it would create yeah. even more player transfer inflation. Like, uh, between those top teams... Like, could you imagine, like, a transfer between those top teams then after they have all of this money and uh, after all of this, uh, like, marketing of, like, you know, oh, we play in the most elite competition. Mm-hmm. We would reach the, the first billion euro player in no time. Yeah. I, I, I firmly believe that if the Super League went through, we would see that within the 23-year span that it was supposed to take place. Yeah, you're right. We're, we're, we're hitting a dangerous point, but... I, I think one other thing I want to say is the, this, I, this thing that, you know, uh, money is, going, is like a huge problem in the sport. I, I'm, I'm shocked it hasn't been realized earlier as well, because the Qatar 20, uh, 2022, giving them the World Cup, it like, it, when it was planned, it was supposed to be in the summer in a, in a country that has human rights violations, all of that. And like, you're, you're saying that... Oh, we're we're just going to do that. Uh, we're we're that they earned this based off of sporting merit. No, they didn't. That no, was they money. Didn't. That not. was money, one hundred percent. And y- you can say all you want, like, oh, but uh, they they uh, have like these great stadiums, or like they they invested in PSG. Yeah. So what? They they invest in one team, and all of a sudden they're qualified to like you know uh, to host a World Cup because of that. No, it, it's it's all about the money and. The, the Super League, I feel like, uh, was just the logical conclusion. Right. It is right. the logical conclusion to the continued use of all this money in soccer. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a product of the past 30, 40 years of ultra-commercialization in the sport. And if the Super League were to happen, it would just be delaying the inevitable, which is the bubble eventually bursting. And when you have no like moral corruption on on both sides, UEFA on FIFA another and the clubs on another, uh, something needs to change. But I have a couple of questions for you, uh, real quick before I get into another topic. Uh, but I was wondering three questions about the relationship between the different parties. Number one, what does this mean for club leadership? Like we know, Ed Woodward, which is a vice chairman of Manchester United, is uh, has resigned completely from Manchester United given the fan backlash. We have the Glazers of Manchester United reportedly maybe pulling out of Manchester United entirely given the backlash because they because this was like their last chance in order to recoup the debt or whatever that they faced. And we have Florentino Perez, who is a, you know president of Real Madrid. Uh kind of has egg on his face if this falls through what does this mean for club leadership as a whole well i i think what it means is that there is going to be a lot of change there there is going to be a lot of change in uh in the fu- in in the future of these clubs like i i think that it's not out of the question that we see fsg of liverpool stan Kroenke of uh arsenal the the glazers of man united i i don't think it's out of the question that within a year or two we see them just all out of the premier league but also 
I think the further thing with this is that it might lead to the Premier League, you know, they have a test, like, kind of a test, I guess, uh, to say, like, when owners are buying a Premier League club or buying into a Premier League club, that they have to, like, pass these different benchmarks. I think they're going to retool that to try and make sure that things like this don't happen again. Uh, how well they retool it, I'm, I'm not sure, but <laughs> I think that the relationship is going to be fundamentally uh, re-examined, and I think it, it's it it's probably going to be discussed at some level on how to kind of improve it on a league-wide level. Yeah, uh, going off of that, with the death of the Super League, or given the current trajectory of the Super League, and even if it does happen, what does this mean? for the relationship between the 12 clubs and the smaller clubs, like the big six in England versus the other 14 in the Premier League. What does that mean for the relationship if it fails or if it somehow does succeed in coming to fruition? Well, yeah, well, that, that's, that's an interesting question as well because uh, we, we know that the Premier League clubs, they had a meeting uh, earlier today. Or on Tuesday, mm -hmm. I, I should say, because this is getting released on Thursday, uh, that all of these clubs are going to be meeting and they all met together to kind of discuss what was happening. And while they all were against the the Super League, the one notable thing was that they all recognized how important it was these clubs were the breakaway clubs are to the league, because you know uh, this this was a main thing about uh that I saw over the debate of like why the Super League would happen. It's because the and people are like, well, the Premier League will cave eventually because they know that the TV rights, uh, you know, the Premier League doesn't survive without the TV deals that they would get with all these other teams. And they're probably right. So I think the relationship, well, it might start out still icy. I think that iciness is going to be directed towards the owners, not the clubs themselves necessarily. I think that's a uh, that that's an important thing that because mm -hmm. these other teams recognize the importance that these clubs have for them because it, it guarantees they get more revenue. And uh, as far as like, you know, I, I I'm not sure if you exactly asked this, but like the relationship between clubs who are who have like left the Super League versus those who have stayed in. Uh, all I'm going to say is like the the Champions League semifinal between Chelsea versus Real Madrid has such an interesting subtext now because oh gosh, right. that that's going to be such an interesting one because if it's, it happens, if, if it happens, right, <laughs> of course, because you know, there's been threats by UEFA that they're going to kick Real Madrid out. Maybe, maybe Chelsea and Man City stay in now, who knows? And maybe Liverpool get Hoping reinstated not. instead of Real Madrid. Who, Ooh. who, who knows? But uh, it, it's going to be, if, if that happens, such an interesting subtext to that. Because it's going to be the first team to like feel the backlash and get out of it versus the team that tried to mastermind it. And I think that's going to be really cool to watch. I, I'm not I haven't thought too much about the rest of the of the clubs, honestly, and, and all that. But I think it's a similar story as with the Premier League and those breakaway teams. What does this mean for the club leadership, their relationship with the players with the management do you think for some of these clubs it's strained beyond repair or do you think that do you think that the players and the managers are going to forgive the owners well i i think that that that's interesting because it depends on the club a lot and the history of it because like a, a club like chelsea for example like, I, I'm not sure how many players and coaches are going to be too mad at Roman Abramovich after everything he's done for the club, right? Because he's been a pretty big part of their success. Uh, but then you have a team like Tottenham or Arsenal who have, you know, the, 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 leaders, uh, the ownership has already been under the ire of the players in the past and uh, under the ire of the coaching in the past. Uh, like, you know, Jose Mourinho... Uh, it was, I, I feel like I remember him saying like, I would have liked to sign more players, but I didn't get, I didn't get to, or something like that. And even, even if not, that would be a very Jose Mourinho thing to say. So, uh, and same with Arsenal, like there, there's been a lot of criticism, uh, e even within the club about sort of, you know, transfers and all that. 
So it could be a, a bit icier in those situations. I think it all depends on the context of the club. That that's that's pretty much it. It, it it's going to be a case by case basis. But I have a feeling for a lot of them, it, it might be relatively icy. Yeah, especially with you know, maybe Manchester United with the yeah, Glazers. True. That's yeah. already that's already falling apart. Their, that's that's been boiling up for 15, 16 years now. So. <laughs> yeah, basically. I, I will say, you, you keep on mentioning Chelsea because that's the club you support. Right. I don't know how much you can herald them as heroes. And I don't think you are. I, I understand people's sentiments about uh, Chelsea and Manchester City being kind of doubtful. In my mind, that might be them trying to save face or at least trying to like find like a very uh, a positive way to spin them backing out. Meanwhile, you have clubs like Bayern Munich, Borussia Dortmund, Ajax, Porto, uh, Roma, who weren't part of the Super League. Uh, Dortmund and Bayern especially could have been part of the Super League. They've said no from the beginning. Even PSG, a club who you would expect would be on the in the first row of the Super League. It wasn't a part of that. And so I, I think maybe City and Chelsea's ownership may have lied just a little bit in terms of the reason why they backed out. Uh, and maybe they were lying a little bit on them getting tricked and they kind of knew what they were getting in in the, in, in the first place. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm not trying to th- throw Abramovich under the bus, but... That's just the kind of the way I see it. I, I don't think anyone involved in this situation is necessarily uh, a hero, save yeah, for, for sure. the, the, the clubs that specifically from the beginning were never even wanted by the Super League or even better, denied the Super League outright. You know I what agree. I'm saying? Yeah, I agree. And I just a quick comment on that. Like, I think the the only reason for me that it makes it believable that they were hesitant was because they're the only two clubs that were in the Super League that don't have debt. <laughs> that's that's that, true. Yeah, so that that that's the only reason I can kind of believe that they would be hesitant because, like, they're doing fine financially. <laughs> like, they, they didn't need to join it for for the same reason these other clubs did. So I that that's the only reason I'm, I'm inclined sure. to believe it a little bit more. Sure. All right, well, I, I want to talk about something a, a, a little bit different. Kind of going back to something you said Right at the beginning, uh, you mentioned how a lot of the fans were continuing their protests and going forward in kind of getting their eyes awoken. You know, is, is that is that a, we- a weird term? They're kind of waking up to becoming conscious even to like the different disparities in football and trying to get their owners who are over commercializing their club like a Cronky, like an FSG, like a Glazer and getting them out of the club. And I think when we look back at what Florentina Perez was talking about, about uh, you tweeted about this, uh, the 20, 20, uh, 16 to 23 year olds are not interested in soccer anymore because the games are too long and it's, it's boring. We got to like find a way to spice things up. I think he's really getting at is that the the point of the Super League and the point of commercializing soccer is to make soccer ubiquitous. It's to cater to a new fan and i think they use the term legacy fan in order to refer to fans that are older or more like emotionally connected to the club and new fans who i, I think you would even consider us to be new fans because given how young we are probably yeah uh, th- these are the fans who uh care about winning they care about the trophies they care about the banter they care about the glitz the glamour the tiktok dances i sound like i'm a boomer right now i can't believe i just said tiktok dances like that but you you get what i mean right there's this new fan and they want a new product that's not necessarily just like purely just 90 minutes here's some 11 guys running at another 11 guys trying to get a ball into a net they want more presentation they want more uh more power into the messaging of soccer and that's what they were trying to cater to and that's what they were hoping who was gonna hope uh pop up when they brought up the super league they were hoping that new fans would jump on this because it's this new shiny product and because it's the best clubs going into the best clubs and that's what new fans want they want the glamour that didn't work 
obviously, because the old fans still exist. And let's face it, if you're a new fan, you either see the old fans revolting and you're like, oh, maybe this isn't a good thing. Uh, or you just don't say anything. So you, let's face it, you don't exist. <laughs> you know, the new fans just aren't that populous of a group. But it, it, what, what really got me interested in this entire conversation about new versus old fans and what the death of the Super League kind of tells us is, A, these old fans have power. They're very powerful because they've been connected with the football club for so long. You're not going to get new fans protesting in favor of the Super League because they're not as connected to soccer as a whole. And another way of looking at it is an American sentiment of sport versus European sentiment of sport. When you have soccer being commercialized and going international, going to different, different markets like America and Canada, like Africa, like India and China and Australia and East Asia, you kind of don't market the purely emotional side of soccer, right? Because it, it's hard to become very emotionally attached to a club that's halfway across the world. And even though it's very much possible and there are a lot of fans who are, marketing sports internationally has always been about catering to the new fan who's into winning trophies, who's into uh, cheering for these glamorous teams. And that kind of speaks to the way that just Americans in general support sports. And it's why... A lot of these team owners are American. It's because Americans and a lot of the international market view sports and sports teams as a vessel to win trophies and for entertainment. European sports fans view sports as a connection to the community because that's what soccer has always been about. It's less so about trophies, even though it's a great part of it, and more so what does this club represent in our community? What does this club represent in my family's heritage? My grandparents uh, supported this club. I'm going to support them too. And most importantly, what does this club have to do with my personal identity? Does this uh, align with my personal identity and beliefs? The reason why Super League was happening was because these owners tried to bank on the new fans outnumbering the old fans who cared more about the emotion of the sport and of soccer. But as we've seen, even the new fans have a little bit of the old in them. And I think, while it's very much possible that this is going to happen again, I think it's basically a guarantee, it's going to bank on the fact that it's all about whether or not the old fans speak up. Whether or not the fans who have a connection to the beauty of soccer, to the beauty of Liverpool Football Club, the beauty or lack thereof of Arsenal and Tottenham. It's going to be all about whether or not they defend the old way of doing things. Because there's different ways of viewing sports. And if we forget, forget the, the reason why sport exists in the first place, which is to co connect communities, then we risk losing soccer completely, even more so than we already have to commercialization. I, I talked for a, a long time there, but Jack, your opinion on uh, the roles of fans in this, what, what do you think of that in general? Yeah, well, fans have a super important role in this, as we saw, I mean, really. And that difference between new and old fans, I, yeah, that's a, that's a pretty massive part of this. And, you know... I, that 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 is what they're trying to market because they can't really grow anymore in in uh with the with the old fans they 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 have to try and approach these new ones and uh, it, i it i don't think there'll ever be a point where the new fans will outnumber the old fans because as you said these new fans have a bit of those old fans in them and i think because of this first try with the super league that's only going to be more true if they, if, or honestly, more, more honestly, when they try it again. And I think the backlash might be just as strong, if not stronger, because I'm, I'm not going to lie. Most of the support I saw from the Super League uh, came from two sources. One was bots on Twitter. That, that was, the, that was one of the big ones. And the other one was uh, some of the most hated American sports journalists. 
And yeah, Alex, oh, actually, I'm not going to say his yeah, name. Don't, don't give, a, don't give him name. power. He who shall not be named, because we all know who, uh, who he is. It, and if you don't, just ask any USMNT fan, yeah. and they'll probably know exactly. But, but yeah, but he he said what he said. He said he, for people who don't know who it is, I'm not going to say who it is. But he basically said that as long as the product is good, he's going to watch it. And he was not the only one. People who aren't involved in soccer uh, were saying like, "Oh, well, this is the best teams going against each other. This is like really good for for soccer. They're they're doing what NFL and NBA does. That that's great." Because they're not connected to soccer and like what it means for the community. They just view the, the soccer as a product of entertainment. It's literally just that to them. And that makes it hard to for uh, old soccer fans to really swallow because that's just completely the antithesis of what they believe the sport should be. Yeah, I, I mean... What one other thing I want to say about those new fans, though, like this whole thing that Florentino Perez did, like deflecting and saying like, oh, the sport is dying because the young people, they don't they don't like the sport anymore. I'm so sick of that narrative. I'm so sick of that narrative in so many circles that like, uh, you know, it's all the young people's fault. They have short attention spans. Oh, they uh, we we need to shorten yeah. the length of matches because they they just can't pay attention for long. That's enough. some boomer talk. Yeah. Bro. They're they're too busy on their phones and their snap faces and whatever. Like, you know, that that's that that's that's what it reminds me of. And like I my favorite part of all of all of all of that was the response after that of just tons of people on social media just being like, yo, I I am between that age range and um, we are. Yeah, we you literally tweeted we are. that. Yeah, we are. That 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 that's that this podcast is run by two 20 year olds two 20 year old college students we're in that age range and we love soccer like it we exist and that that kind of deflection it's just annoying but i want to talk about one other thing with the fans because i think this is really relevant and it's going to be a conversation that's going to be had i think quite a bit and it's about something from germany that mm -hmm. maybe we should import to other leagues well, but before you begin that, mm -hmm. I think it's a great okay. transition to just talking about how do we keep this from happening. We talk right. about the fan support. I think I know what you're about to talk about. So in the spirit of keeping things going, let's move on to how we stop another Super League from forming. Jack, with an import from Germany that's not named Audi or Volkswagen, what is it? Uh, the 50 plus one rule, of course. Right. That, that's That's what it is. And... You know, for those of you who don't know what the 50 plus one rule is, it's something that exists in German soccer. I think it's in the uh, either fourth through first or third through first tiers of the game. Uh, mm -hmm. it, all of the clubs in the professional pyramid, at least, they have to be owned at majority owned by fans. 50 plus one, uh, as the name implies. So no matter who owns it, you know, they they need to. Uh, uh, they need to, you know, the uh, fans have to have the majority stake in it and they, they vote on decisions. They, they're the ones who actually like make decisions. And in practice, this ends up being a lot more like it, it ends up being like, uh, I think Dortmund have almost 80% is owned by fans and like, uh, mm -hmm. Bayern is similar as well. Like that, that that's, uh, and it's, it was built in, I believe in the 1998 restructuring of the German league. Uh, and it's, it's been there ever since there have been clubs who've gotten around it, uh, you know, sports drink, uh, FC, uh, or sorry, rosin ball and sport, uh, yeah, exactly. sorry, they're not named after the sports drink. Definitely not. Uh, but, or energy drink, not sports drink, but regardless, uh, it, it's, it seems like it could be something that could be adapted. And AJ, do you want to, do you want to talk a little bit about like, you know, the 50 plus one rule, like what's your opinion on it being adapted to these other leagues? I think it makes fan protests even more powerful and easy because when you have fans getting to make decisions, if you get enough of them kind of riled up, then it allows easier control of the decisions. If, if, if you have the fans being the ones that are making the final say in these huge huge decisions 
then fan protests become less of let's just hope that the owners listen to us to hey guys let's make sure that this big decision that's obviously a bad decision does not happen and going off of that just fan protests in general are very important in making sure that this doesn't happen again whether 50 plus one actually happens which is let's just be honest it's going to be if it does happen a very long and arduous process to implement in whatever leagues but these fan protests that people are doing in order to stop the super league and get rid of commercialization get rid of the evil team owners that are screwing over these football clubs those are really important because you know team owners as as much as they won't admit it do get affected by that because they don't like the idea that there are people who are you know literally out there day in and day out saying how much they are the scum of the earth and that that really 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 matters uh jack do you have, have anything to say about protests before i go into more perhaps structural changes that could help i mean just just to say that they they clearly can work in in this which is something that i think shocked a lot of fans honestly that you know they were they were able to do this because there was a lot of doom and gloom among fans that was like yeah no we can't beat them but hey, hey kind of worked i guess in the end unless unless it was a grift the whole time unless and the, it was a grift the whole time in which case it meant nothing but i'm gonna be an optimist i will also be an optimist, be an optimist. but uh, a little part of me is just like what if the the team owners uh knew that they were going to uh not go through in this and that's why their twitter account never tweeted from at super league or whatever that's why their their pr uh, scheme was terrible because he was just a grift the entire time but i'm gonna assume that's not what's happened i will say that at the very least there needs to be huge changes on the financials of soccer this is an entire other deep dive that we can get into some other time but i'm saying that we need to control the consumptuous the conspicuous consumption within soccer clubs because Right now, the status quo, there's still rampant inequality between clubs. And something I was going to mention earlier, but I, we're probably definitely going to mention in the future, in the next coming weeks, when we talk about more about inequality in soccer. But uh, when we have a Barcelona, Real Madrid spending too much, it makes sense that they're going to do whatever it takes to make uh, as much money as possible in order to support their spending. So call me crazy. Call me American. It might be time for a salary cap or at least more, much more stringent FFP. Something that can make these clubs financially sound to the point where they don't need to spend as much money as possible and destroy the communities and everything that they're uh, working on. I, I think that's, that's very important. Jack, do you have any other uh, final opinions on what else we can do? Uh, I, I think I'm out of ideas, but... <laughs> Because that's like pretty much the bulk of it, right? Yeah, it it's is. not really in our hands. We we can protest. We can try to advocate for fifty plus one. We can try to advocate for these new changes. But are there any other options that fans, or at least things that the fans can advocate for? I mean, the the big thing is just like you know, keep keep making your voices heard. I guess is, is the big thing, and I know that sounds really cliche. What whatever, but yeah, you sound it, like it, a politician trying I, to get people to vote. That that's that that is what I want to become. So I mean, you know, it it, it all it, right. There you go. It, it works out like that. But um, I I also think like it. I'm not sure if this is possible, but you know, if the Glazers step away, just imagine if United fans just like all stepped in and like created like. A joint corporation or something like or, or like a something like that just to buy manchester united <laughs> and and implement the 50 plus one rule that way yeah, for that club I, imagine if that happened i would pitch in honestly i i'd pitch in i i would I, too just to just to like you know get get that kind of that kind of thing going but i i'm not sure how possible that is of course but it would be interesting to see if if something like that does end up happening because you know, United fans are are very passionate about their club and the ownership, and they've been very outspoken about uh, the ownership. So it would be interesting. But I also wanted to make another note, uh, just saying that apparently Inter and AC Milan are set to leave the Super League as well now officially. Okay. Juventus, well. 
and all the Spanish clubs still seem pretty intent on staying. And in fact, it sounds like they're planning on releasing a statement saying that they're going to continue on <laughs> with the competition with them in it. I don't even know who else they're going to they're going to get. Like, I don't know who else they could get. Maybe Shakhtar Donetsk. I don't know. They're not exactly a European giant, but maybe like the Red Imps from Gibraltar, perhaps. Yeah, I mean, it. It, it would definitely not be as much of a Super League. They could probably find some random teams who could, who could join in. Or maybe it's just like uh, Real Madrid A and Real Madrid B and then Barcelona A and Barcelona B that are in it. And like it, it, it's just it's just uh, like all of the A teams playing against each other and all the B teams playing against each other. And that's the competition. Yeah. And ah. it would be such a Super League in air quotes, yeah. of course, since... Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm sure that uh, if there were any other breaking news, I've added addendums uh, from my editing desk. But that's where I think we should leave off. I will say with these protests, with uh, trying to make sure a change happens in the soccer world, uh, obviously, we're very proud of what's happened. But obviously, you got to keep that same energy for all the other bad things that are happening in the soccer world with the human rights violations in Qatar, keep on protesting that, even if it's in vain. Uh, with the changes in the, the UEFA Champions League, which are also destroying the competitive integrity, keep that same energy. With, with it's the, the, the clubs and the owners of being bad, keep that same energy, keep, keep on protesting. Yeah, keep the same energy, especially because this was a central thing I saw, which we don't have time to dive into, but you can look at a past deep dive to see a conversation about this. Uh, keep the same energy with racism in the sport. Yeah. Because that, that's something that UEFA needs to be more consistent on in keeping the energy uh, of, like that they dedicated to protecting the Champions League. They need to take that same energy to combating racism. So hold them to it. Yeah. Racism, homophobia, which is still rampant in Europe and let's face it, America as well. Uh, sexism, which I don't even have to mention how rampant that is in the soccer world. Keep that same energy no matter what, not just because it affects your club, but because it affects all of us. And I think that's a beautiful a note to end off on. Jack, do you have anything to say to our listeners? Well, make sure to follow our Twitter, of course, if you want to. If if the Super League does end up being revived and you want to see <laughs> more takes on it, on it and how terrible it is and how much we hate it so much. Uh, you know, follow our Twitter at Final Third Show. Follow our Instagram, Final Third Show. and also. Uh, make sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel, which we'll be hosting uh, that live stream we mentioned at the beginning, Chelsea versus West Ham, 11 a.m. Central Time uh, on Saturday, April 24th. That will be a fun time, and hopefully the live stream will work better than the Minnesota versus Seattle one. I, I am sure it will, Jack. And yeah, f follow us there. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram as well. All the links will be down in the show notes down below. But as always, tell a friend about the podcast. I think this is one of our best podcast episodes yet. So make sure you tell a friend about the show. Make sure you tell your dad, because I'm sure he'd love to listen to this episode as well, especially if he has questions about the European Super League. Uh, this is a great uh, primer into what it is and what the death of it can mean. So Go ahead and do that. We'll see you next Monday for the news and predictions show where we'll go over all the big games and big stories in the soccer world. And we'll see you same time, same place next Thursday for this episode's or this podcast's deep dive. See ya. Bye for now. <laughs>